Welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I'm broadcasting from WOUF Woof Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me again today. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday, and you're going to want to check them out. Now, you can also follow me on Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. And if you want to support the show even further, get even more content, become a patron today at patreon.com slash speakadogcast. You can also find my YouTube channel at speakadogcast as well. Yes, and if you love what you're hearing, do me a favor, click that five-star rating, give me a review. If you're on YouTube, give me that thumbs up, that like, I would really appreciate it. And we're still doing those free virtual training sessions until the end of May. Yeah, so go ahead and take advantage of that. A lot of people already have. Shoot me an email, questions at speakadogcast.com, or you can message me on social media. I'll give you a free consultation, assess your dog, talk further in depth about your training goals, and get a plan underway. So yes, till the end of May, be sure you reach out to me. Now today on the show, we have the dog days of summer. It's getting to that time of year again. We got to have a refresher, a lot of important information in there, as well as some fun stuff too, about how to keep you and your dog safe during the summer. And then we have some off-leash training today. Yeah, we're going to be talking a little bit about what happens when we pop that leash off, how to gain some success. Yeah. Then comes the listener Q&A. And if you guys have questions for the listener Q&A, you can email me questions at speakadogcast.com. Now, I know I said there was going to be a brand new segment today. However, we had a little bit of technical difficulties getting that new segment going with the, the graphic and the long story. Uh, I might be a little bit of a perfectionist. <laughs> I, I wanted it to be right. So next week, that brand new segment on college mascots and some of their history is going to be coming up. It's going to be awesome. So be sure you come back next week for that brand new segment. But on today's show, uh, we got to give you that trivia question before we get started. And today's question is going to be, what is the smallest cat in the big cat family? Yes, what is the smallest cat in the big cat family? I will give you that answer to today's question somewhere in the show, so be sure you stick around. Sit, stay, and enjoy the podcast. Next on Speaking Dogcast, it's the dog days of summer. It is getting so hot this year already. I'm baked, I'm fried. Anybody in Florida, you know what I'm saying. I mean, look, here's the thing. Florida's always hot. Even in the winter, it can be very hot. But when you get to May, right? You get to May, it starts getting warm. You get to June, and you're looking at like low 90s consistently. And then July, August, and most of September, mid-upper 90s to heat indexes of over 100 degrees. I mean, it's it's no joke. And the funny thing with Florida is, you know, like, like there's hotter places on the earth, like the de- middle of the desert is hot. But that humidity, that humidity just absolutely kicks your butt. I mean, when I'm when I'm starting to do my walks in the summer, I have to wake up pretty early, and it's it's very strange how it's actually oftentimes it feels hotter at five thirty six o'clock in the morning than it does at ten a.m. It's a very strange thing because a lot of the humidity settles. We get so much humidity overnight; it settles around. We get a lot of fog. It well, actually not fog during the summer, but a lot of dew, a lot of morning dew. And I mean, even just the other day, it was so hot you could just you could like inhale. <laughs> The water vapor in the air because it was so thick. It was so hot. We ca- I came back drenched in sweat and the sun had been up for maybe not even a fourth of my walk. I mean, it just gets so hot here. To be fair, it gets hot in a lot of places. So guys, we got to be smart when it comes to the summertime with our dogs. There's definitely some safety things we got to talk about. Um, some very important things. Look, if you ever are caring for a friend's dog, a neighbor's dog, 
you know, your own dogs, uh, maybe you run a dog sitting business. This is important information to know. It really is. It seems kind of so, David safety. No, guys, th this is some serious stuff. You would be surprised your vet, if you ask them, if you actually asked your veterinarian how many overheating cases they see in a summer, I think you might be shocked because it can be very easy for some of our furry friends to get overheated, especially like brachiocephalic dogs, dogs with the, with the shorter smush snouts, if you will. And so we have to be aware. We have to be knowledgeable. And that's what this is going to be partially about today. And then we're going to talk about some fun stuff too. Um, but look, I always, when, when, when we start talking about the heat in the summertime, the first thing I always like to start with, and especially I'm saying to you Floridians, because a lot of the year, it, it's not necessarily just the four months of summer for us. So the first thing we have to talk about is the five second rule. The five second rule is a five second rule where if you cannot put your, if you take your hand and you put it down to concrete or asphalt or whatever you're going to be walking your dog on, if you put your hand there and you cannot hold your hand there for five seconds because it's so hot, it is too hot to be walking your dog kills me how many people I see out at 2 p.m. in Florida, middle of June, middle of July, walking their dogs. And I'm just, guys, stop, stop doing it. It's it's downright dangerous. And what can actually happen is the concrete will actually burn their pads. And when it burns, it almost looks like a blister, like it blisters their pads back. It's painful. It's no good. The healing process can take weeks. Um, it's no joke, guys. Like, like the five-second rule is something so simple, so easy that you can easily do to keep your dog safe from hot concrete. Now, look, even even like I said, even in some of the winter months here, we'll get some some hot weeks, and there are times where you'll put your hand to the ground and you'll be very surprised how hot it is, even at like 11 a.m. So, especially to my Floridian friends, please use the five-second rule to keep your pet's feet and paws safe. Right. Okay, so with that, what about overheating, right? Like overheating symptoms, what are we going to be looking for? You know, when it comes to a dog overheating, excessive panting, right, or or maybe even like hyperventilation, these are going to be signs that are going to tell you right away that the dog is overheating. Uh, maybe like the dryness of the mouth or the, or the gums will actually turn pale. With that said, guys, I want you to do something right now. Take a moment, if you've never done this, take a moment and go look in your dog's mouth. <laughs> Sounds kind of silly when you say it that way, but seriously, lift up the lips safely. Of course, I hope your dog can accept that if they can't do some training first, but go look at your dog's gums. Lift up the lip, take a look at the color of the gums. If your dogs have not been out running or anything, they're just kind of hanging out in the house. Um, take a look at the color of the gums and what they look like under normal circumstances, because this is going to be helpful if you feel like your dog is overheating and you lift up their lips and you look at the gums and the gums are becoming pale, that's a very good sign, very good sign. I don't want to say very good sign. That is a sign uh, that your dog is potentially overheating. So it's important that you know what your dog's gums look like regularly in order to be able to hold that up, you know, and, and assess it. Um, if, if they have erratic pulse, an erratic pulse, a rapid pulse, you know, really fast, um, might be a sign. Weakness, vomiting, these can all be signals that your dog is overheating. Now look, everybody wants to you know, immediately give their dog ice cold water if the dog is overheating. And guys, that is one of the worst things you can do. Please don't do it. Um, even ourselves, even human beings, if a human, if a person is overheating, one of the worst things we can do is try to give them that cold water because you can actually shock their system. That's what'll end up happening. If the body's really overheated and you give them something really cold, it's a shock to the system to have such a difference in temperatures, right? So please be mindful of that, that we don't want to give our dogs ice water if they are overheating. I've said it before, I'll just, you know, just in general to me, I try to avoid ice water in general. I don't have a problem giving my dog an ice cube here, an ice cube there, sure. But like to actually make ice water, especially when it's hot out, 
I just feel like you're kind of riding that line on running a risk. Is your dog a little overheated? Could it send their shot? They, you, you really want to give them regular just room temperature water is ideal. And when we do give them room temperature water, if your dog is overheating, we're giving small amounts at a time, very small amounts. Now, we the first thing we really want to do though is if we do think our dog is overheating, first thing you do is move them to a cool area. Maybe get a fan, like a little uh, space fan, you know, space fan, uh, is that the right word for it? Um, a portable fan, there we go. Put it right on them. Maybe get it on places like around their crotch and armpits. That's that's places that the heat can really come off their, their paws. Um, so be sure you get them in a cool area and get a cool breeze over them. Now we also wanna be using wet, damp towels uh, around the neck. Again, same thing, kinda of in between the legs, in between their uh, legs, sort of like the crevice area is another good place to put those wet towels to try to bring that body temperature slowly, easily down. Again, we're not gonna be using ice cold towels, nothing like that, we don't wanna shock the system, okay? Now, like I said with that water though, I just wanna reiterate that, make sure you're not forcing your dog to drink, make sure you're allowing them um, to just take small amounts at a time. You don't wanna force water on them because you could accidentally get water in the lungs, obviously we don't wanna do that, all right? so. What about just keeping your dog cool in general? What if what if they're not overheating? How do we just keep them cool during the summertime? There's a lot of ways, you know? You do see these cooling mats out there, these cooling mat dog beds. They're actually, they're really cool. They're awesome. Uh, really cool. <laughs> yeah, no, they are. <laughs> they're neat because they they actually, I mean, you guys have seen the cooling gels and the, those kind of things. That's a lot of what these mats use. They use that cooling gel technology um, that allows that coolness you know, to, to stay in the mat and not let the heat transfer from the dog onto it and helps keep them cool. Um, it, it, those are sometimes even heavy and you maybe only want to pull them out in the summertime. So I think I try to go like a little more, what do I have already? Look, I've got those dog beds, those elevated dog beds, right? We've all seen them. They kind of have a mesh screen for those of you unfamiliar, either a metal or a PVC frame. They're elevated a couple inches off the ground and they've got like a mesh center area for the dog to lie on. Now these are really awesome because they breathe. That's the nice thing about these. They're indoor outdoor dog beds too, so they can go outside. Uh, but they breathe and what I really like to do is I'll actually take a fan, a little portable fan, and I'll aim it right at the dog bed so the breeze blows underneath the dog bed and it'll create a circulation of nice cool air uh, under the dog bed and through the mesh and that also can help keep your dog cool. Maybe you're hanging out on the patio in the summer, great way to keep your dog cool, right? What about, uh, we can use ice. Now, I, I, let's talk about ice again for a minute because ice can be used in a good way. There's nothing wrong with using ice to help keep your dog cool if they are not overheating. That is the key here, guys. If your dog is already potentially overheating, we don't wanna use ice. Uh, if our dog's just, you know, hanging around on the patio, we wanna give them a cool treat, we can give them an ice cube. But one other fun thing I like to do is I'll actually take like a mixing bowl. A small mixing bowl, very small. Uh, smallest one I can find, truthfully, because I want to I want to make like an ice ball. And what we'll do is we'll fill it with water and I'll put some treats in there, right? Like put treats throughout it and let it freeze up. You can even use pieces of fruit that are safe for dogs. You can do that. Uh, anything that's dog safe, we can freeze it in this ball of ice, we put it in the freezer. When it comes out, it's a ball of ice frozen with treats in it and they have to lick away and crunch away at the ice to get to the treats. It's great enrichment and it can actually keep them uh, nice and cool. But again, just to reiterate, make sure your dog is not overheating when we give them those icy treats. Now, obviously there's other ways we can keep our dogs cool in the summer. You know, we can get some of those, for those of you guys that maybe don't have a pool in your backyard, get a baby pool. You know, they're cheap, the little kitty pools, they're cheap at Walmart, you can go grab one, your dog will probably love to lay in it, play in it, and it's another way to keep them nice and cool. For those of you that do have a pool, or maybe you wanna take your dog to the lake, the beach, 
there's that's like the best way to keep cool, right? It keeps them it keeps them exercised, it keeps them stimulated and cool at the same time. Uh, you get to go to the beach. That's always a plus. But there are things we got to think about with swimming. Guys, if your dog doesn't know how to swim, I've actually done some segments on swimming, so be sure you go back and check that out. But one of the best, best ways, actually, I'll tell you what, I'll give you my two little best ways for teaching a dog to swim. The first way is you want to put a life vest on them. Make sure you put a life vest on them the first time you take them swimming, okay? Because it can be a little unnerving having the ground just disappear from under their feet as a dog. Like, think about it. Dog spends its life on all fours. Having that ground just disappear can be kind of strange. So... Putting a flotation device on them, such as a doggy life vest, can actually make them feel more at ease. And oftentimes I've seen it helps with getting the back legs kicking. Uh, Some dogs, you know, they'll get in the water and they almost don't know what to do. And providing that flotation instead of panic or something, it almost makes the brain go into that autopilot. You know, we've all seen the videos of holding holding dogs over water, what happens, the feet start kicking. Uh, So same kind of concept, but in the water. So that's why a life vest can be helpful. And the second thing is if you can... Gradual entry is the way to go to teach your dog to swim, right? Uh, I, I, it's difficult at my house. We've got a pool, but the the steps are very narrow, very steep, and for some reason are sitting at an angle a little bit, which really stinks. And I've seen it; it makes the dogs really uneasy because there's not a lot of space for them. Uh, they can they can they feel like they're almost going into the water more than I want them to. Uh, it's just the way the pool is designed. And again, especially you think about it, a step, they have to literally lift their foot up and have nothing under it, step down, lift their foot. So it's that whole feeling again of, of having the ground taken out from under them kind of thing. So if we have a gradual entry, I mean, it just allows them to walk right in and totally feel comfortable being able to still stand on all fours. So a gradual entry is key to success with swimming. I have found that time and time again. If you can find a lake or something like that with a gradual entry, and I'm going to have to put the, I, I got to put the red flag up on the lakes. For those of you Floridians who are new to the state, I hope you've seen enough of the stories in the news. Please do not walk your dogs near bodies of water, uh, creeks, canals, lakes. I know this sounds a little ridiculous to maybe some northern people, but guys, there's been a lot of gator attacks here lately. And part of the reason is a lot of people are moving here and we're destroying a lot of the gators' natural habitat. We're encroaching upon their land. That's one thing. The second thing is we have pure ignorance of people that are feeding these alligators. The alligators then start associating food with people. Before you know it, we look like we're offering snacks, whether it be in dog form, unfortunately, or people form. Um, so I have to give the, the the little red flag warning. Those of you unfamiliar with the state of Florida, and for that matter, Louisiana, Georgia, Southern Georgia, South Carolina, guys, there's gators in all these southern states. Please be cautious. Please be aware. The rule of thumb is in Florida is if there's a standing body of water, there is a gator in it. It's not like there's most likely. It's like, no, there there is a gator in it. Let's not mess around, especially right now. Mating season, nesting season, uh, all that's coming. We've got that happening and coming up. Please, like I'm begging you guys, be smart about this. Please don't walk your dog so close to these bodies of water. It's very dangerous. Gators can lunge very fast and very far, and they're very powerful creatures. Respect their land, respect rather, respect their space, their water, uh, respect their habitat. So just kind of had to give my little wag of the finger to everybody. Please be cautious. May, you know, May and June is mating season, guys, for specifically May and June um, through late June. And then, of course, we have nesting season coming in July. Uh, it, just be careful. All right, enough said. Be careful. One other thing in Florida, unfortunately, we do have to think about with dogs in bodies of water is these algae blooms, especially us down here in South Florida. Unfortunately, guys, in the summertime, this is, you know, the heat really exacerbates a problem that's mostly man-made. Sometimes there's algae blooms that are not, but let's be real. 
The blooms that are really down here causing harm are man-made, exacerbated by heat. And these algae blooms are not just toxic and dangerous if you go in the water. They can actually be dangerous if you're close to them, if they're bad enough, with uh, uh, putting out particles in the air. Uh, There were stories a couple years ago when the algae blooms were here. They were really bad. And there were some stories of, of dogs getting sick, dogs passing away from these algae blooms. So... Another cautionary tale, unfortunately, in our <laughs> in our beautiful state that's turning less beautiful by the day. Oh, man. All right. Enough of that. Let's stop being a downer. It's summertime. It's fun. <laughs> what about going to the beach? All right, guys. First of all, let's make sure that you're mindful of beach laws. Every beach is different, even in the state of Florida. There's some beaches that are dog-friendly. Some beaches are not. So please be mindful of that. Leash laws, all that good stuff. Um, when you take your dog to the beach, just be smart about it. Make sure you're bringing water with you, right? You're at the ocean. Dog's not going to be wanting to drink the salt water. So make sure you're bringing enough water. And with that, they might get some salt water. It might dehydrate them a little bit. So have extra water on hand for your dogs when you go to the beach. Now, another thing is, you know, people will ask me, well, David, can I take my dog off leash at the beach? Like, can I, when can I trust him? How can I trust him? First thing is, again, refer back to your leash laws. There may be beaches that you, you're not allowed to. So double check that. But there are dog-friendly beaches. We have some here. We are allowed to bring them off leash. And um, you just got to be careful, guys. You got to know your dog. You need to have practiced your recall. You need to practice uh, working with your dog. Does your dog listen to you? Do they come back to you when you call them at home in the backyard? You know, you have to know your dog. And even at that point, if you've never done it before, put a training leash on them. When in doubt, leash up your dog, guys. Let them drag around a 20-foot training leash, you know? That way you can still maintain some level of control if you need it, right? Let's be smart about these things. Be mindful of everybody else at the beach as well. You're not probably not going to be the only one there. So let's be respectful of each other with our space, with our dogs. Make sure you're not ruining somebody else's day with an out-of-control pup, right? Okay. So, you know, there's all kinds of great ways that we can we can take our dogs and do all kinds of fun field trips. Take your dogs boating, guys. I'm all for it. Make sure you take your dogs on the boat. That's awesome. But... If you're going to bring your dog on a boat, I highly recommend putting a life vest on him, even if they know how to swim. Make sure you have a nice, bright, reflective life vest. It's one of the similar reasons our life vests tend to be bright. They need to be visual. If your dog decides to see a duck and jump off your boat, you need other boaters to be able to see your dog in the area. So make sure we're thinking safety first. I know, safety first. But guys, do you want your, everybody wants to arrive alive and come home alive. So let's, let's practice our safety tips. Let's make sure we're looking out for those signs. Uh, just to reiterate on the signs, you know, guys, excessive panting, uh, hyperventilation, dryness of the mouth, or those gums turning pale. Make sure you know what your dog's gums look like under normal circumstances. That erratic or rapid pulse, weakness, and vomiting. Those are all those signs that your dog may be overheating. Remember, guys, if they are overheating, first thing to do is transfer your dog to a nice, cool place. Maybe get a nice portable fan on them, cooling them down. We don't want to force water on them. We want them to drink maybe just a little bit at a time if they're interested. Forcing water can actually potentially put water in the lungs. Let's not offer ice, right? We don't want to shock the system, so make sure you're not offering ice, you're offering nice room temperature water. We can take nice cool towels, put them below their armpits, put it in the crotch area, uh, maybe even around their neck a little bit to cool them off, help bring that body temperature back down slowly. Okay, look guys, if you really do feel your dog is not uh, within a few minutes, you don't see the panting go down, you don't see any symptoms maybe get a little better and instead maybe get worse, please immediately call an emergency vet. You should always have that emergency vet's number in your phone ready to go just in case. All right. Now, 
Make sure you're practicing those fun summer tips as well, taking your dog swimming, but make sure you're putting them in a life vest. If you're gonna go boating, practice proper safety, guys. Bright, colorful, beautiful life vest to get everybody's attention in a worst case scenario situation. So. Um, Make sure you're staying safe out there. Oh, and of course, one more thing, the beaches. When you're at the beach, don't forget that sand can be just as hot as the concrete, right? Same thing with that five second rule. You gotta be really careful with your dog's paws this summer. So make sure you don't burn them in the sand either. Stay safe out there and have a wonderful summer. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? Well, we can help. At The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Our virtual training programs are catered to you and your pet and create a training plan that gets results. For more information, you can check out our website at www.thenatureoftraining.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. With the ability to connect, teach, and train with pet owners around the world, together we can make a better home for our furry friends. The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, helping you achieve success with your pet. training. Of course, first and foremost, I always have to give the disclaimer, leash laws, they are different everywhere. Not only necessarily between state to state, but city to city, town to town, county to county. Uh, even some private neighborhoods might have specific leash laws in their HOA guidelines. So guys, Hey, leash laws. <laughs> I can't keep up with them because that would be impossible for me to know every single leash law and ordinance in this entire country. Now, again, state of Florida, pretty straightforward leash laws. There are. Your dog must be leashed up on uh, a leash and collar or, or harness. They must be restrained in some way whenever they're in public property. The only reason or the only time rather that a dog can be off leash is when they are on private property, or secured properly in a public place, such as a dog park. So it's very black and white, very black and white in the state of Florida. If you're out in public, your dog can't be off leash. Doesn't even matter if they're well behaved. By the law, by the standard of the law, by what it states, it doesn't matter. Okay, so when I'm out at a public park and I'm walking and someone has their dog off leash, they're breaking the law. If the dog is charging at me and they're off leash, they're breaking the law. If the dog is staying right with their owner and, and they're out walking in a public park, they're breaking the law. Okay, it's that simplistic in the state of Florida. It really is. It is really that black and white. So as a professional, I have to say, I cannot advocate people actually using off-leash training in a public environment. Can I advocate it on private property? Absolutely. Is it important that your dog knows how to do off-leash training even in a state like Florida? Absolutely. Because if you're gonna take your dog to a dog park, a beach, heck, if you're gonna take your dog out in your backyard, they need to know how to act off-leash. The second reason is the what-if scenarios. You know, the second reason people in the state of Florida, they, where you can't walk, the second reason we have to have uh, a good off-leash control is the what if scenarios, right? The emergency scenarios. What if someone leaves the front door open and your dog gets out? Do they know what to do? Do they know how to behave off leash? 
So that is another very, very important reason that we have to teach our dog off-leash skills, okay? Um, but again, like I said, guys, do your own research. You have to know what your leash laws in are in your area in order to do it correctly. And, and again, guys, to me, this is, this is just one of these things. It's like, I, I don't make the laws. I don't make the laws. I don't make the rules on this stuff. And if I did, I would have leash laws everywhere. That's just me. Uh, but it's mostly because of the irresponsible dog owners. So isn't it stinks that it's always the bad ones that ruin us, ruin it for the good ones. So what can you do? So off leash dog training. <laughs> How do you do it? You know what, guys? It, it always starts with two feet of leash. That's where off leash dog training starts. It starts with having control of your dog on a two foot leash. Because quite frankly, if you cannot control your dog on two feet of leash, how in the world are you going to do it with 10 feet of leash, 20 feet of leash, 50, no leash? The answer is you won't. You won't be able to, okay? And I know there's a lot of trainers out there right now that are using the e-collars and the shock collars. And uh, I remember a few years ago, there was a trainer in the area who was touting themselves as, oh, I can get pack of dogs to listen. And I remember there was a, um, uh, the video had like, I think seven or eight, maybe nine, 10 bully breeds, mostly pit bull looking dogs. And they're out in a public park. I love this because they're out in a public park in the state of Florida. They're off leash, illegal, and he's advocating it. He uses it as, as a promotional material for his business. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just me. I, look, guys, I'm going to stay and do things right or don't do them at all, you know? Um, and... <laughs> <laughs> you're watching the video very clearly. You can see it. Every single one of these dogs has got a big old shot collar on. And right, you know, they're all just sniffing around and kind of hanging out. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, every single dog, and they're, you know, they're not like all engaged with each other. They're just doing their own. Out of nowhere, all of a sudden, all eight, 10 of them, however many, every single one of them just stops dead in their tracks and sits down. And I, I mean, this is meant to impress people. And I'm going, that's impressive that you have to have a shot collar on to get a pack of dogs to sit. That's not impressive to me. Okay, you have to have a tool to shock a dog to get them to do what you want. Wow, you're really good at training. <laughs> All right, so, yeah. <laughs> I, I Look, I, you, you've, you've heard my my feelings on shot collars before, and so that's the thing, like that's, that's off-leash training, right? Give me a break. Uh, no, off-leash training can be done very differently. It does not need to be done with a shot collar. Don't, don't, don't listen to anybody else that tells you otherwise, okay? Um, again, to me, guys, it starts with two feet of leash. And if you haven't listened to a lot of my segments, <laughs> you should go back and do it. Because I'll be honest, there's a lot of great stuff out there. Because look, here it is. In order to do off-leash training, it's not just like, oh, yeah, you have to have control of your dog. Sure. Here's what it is. You have to have focus from your dog. You have to have commands from your dog. A sit, a stay, a lie down, uh, a recall, a release word. To me, those are all very important and a very important aspect to working my dog off leash. A spot command even goes in there, yeah. You know, commands, focus. How about a relationship? You have to have a good relationship with your dog. You, you must let me rephrase that. You must have a good relationship with your dog in order to work them off leash. Part of that is what if you have a rescue dog? And yeah, guys, this could take over a year to comfortably work your dog off leash. If you have a rescue dog with some potential trauma, could be over a year before you can do off leash and, and fully trust them. 
just being honest. That's that's sometimes what it takes. Every situation is going to be a little different. With a puppy, you could do it within a couple months. A couple months. It depends on the age of the puppy too, right? A puppy's got to be old enough to, to have a good head on his shoulders to make those. It's just like kids. Kids are terrible at making logical, sound decisions. And we've, we've proven that through science. At least I thought we did. Um, so they're not going to make a good decision, right? So it's, it's no different. So a puppy, I could do it within a couple months and get them to a point that we could be working off leash and trust them most of the time to a point that we're almost 100% of the time by the time they're one years old. Um, so yeah, every dog is going to be a little different with the off leash training. But again, guys, you have to have focus, you have to have commands, and you have to have leash work under control. And you have to have a good relationship with your dog. That leash work is that two foot leash I'm talking about, right? So it all goes back to the basics, always. It goes back to What's the most basic exercise? If you listen to my podcast, what's the most basic exercise I tell you to practice with your dog before the walk? This even starts before the walk, right? What's the most basic? Fluffy. Look at me. (laughs) Kissy noise exercise. That's right. It's going to be that kissy noise exercise. That's how off-leash training starts in my book. Because if I don't have that very base foundation of reinforcement, redirection, rather, excuse me, redirection, and being able to reinforce them coming to me, looking at me, reinforcing focus. How can I get anywhere else? If I, have, if I have no way to reinforce focus, create focus, reinforce and strengthen focus, how can you ever get your dog to behave and listen off leash? I mean, think about it. Isn't that what a recall is? It's, it's focus. Your dog has to be able to be, you know, comfortable being 100 feet away from you, number one. That that's like has to be comfortable being away from you. And then once they are comfortable being away from you, they have to be able to keep an ear to the ground that mom or dad is going to call me, right? Some, someone's going to give me direction. That's focus. So if your dog could potentially be distracted without restraint, you have to know, right? You have to, be, you have to know that you have control over that. And the only way to get control over that is through focus. I probably sound like a broken record to some of you with this focus thing. But guys, I'm, I'm telling you. Like I go back to my, let's let's go back for a minute to to my days when I did more exotic animal training, right? Um, and look, I used to work for a production training company. I'll be honest, you know, did a little more of the show side. And but when you see animals on TV, right, and in movies, and and any time an animal is doing something, what do you think's happening? Like, do you think they just train them and there's no focus and no food and no reward and they just train them and it happens? Because, you know, we don't think about it. We see the cute animal on TV. We go, oh, that was adorable. And we never think more of it. But do you have any idea how much time and work went into that, first of all? Uh, and second of all, creating that focus. Look, animal training is just that. It's, it's knowing where an animal's focus is and having the ability to guide and direct it. It's that simple. It is that black and white. Knowing where an animal's focus is and having the ability to control it. Because if you can control focus, then you can control drive. And if you can control drive, you can control anything. Think about children in school. And again, let's not get into that on nowadays versus back in my day. Um, But (laughs) a teacher needs to try to create focus with their children because if they don't create focus with their class of kids, how are they ever going to get anywhere? How do you ever, how do you ever get to that drive and ambition part if you don't have focus? So I know it's like beating this drum over and over of just focus, get your dog to focus, focus, but it's so it's so important. And then taking it a step further with dogs, going back to that, they only have a one-track mind. If they only have a one-track mind and I'm not doing anything with their focus, what do you think is going to happen? You're never going to get them off leash training. All right, so I know I'm like spending a lot of time, but I, I cannot stress it enough. Without 
honing in on focus and the walk and all these basic foundational building blocks, popping that leash off is not going to happen. Now, look, when we start with like, let's say I'm starting with a eight to 10 month old puppy, right? Old enough, a little more mature. And, and I'm working with a client and this is how it goes. You know, we start with some basic stuff like dog psychology for them, little, little human training. And then we start in with the dog and we start with basic leash, leash work, focus and the walks. That's where it begins. Right now, if my client wants to take it further, we start doing more, right? We start doing um, uh, front door exercise, greeting people, going out into public. All of this stuff is controlled and on leash and focused. Then we start working on distractions, triggers, those kinds of things. Then once we get all past this, that's when the recall comes into play. People think the recall comes in so early. And look, it's not that you can't start training it before that. But I prefer to create such a strong foundation that once I get to popping the leash off and a recall to get my dog to come back to me, it's it be, it's cake. It's cake because I have just absolutely created this focus no matter what circumstance is happening. My do- and, and not only building that relationship and trust with my dog the whole time, doing all of this work. That when I pop that leash off, it's like, okay, yeah, the, that, so what? The leash is off, so what are we doing? Doesn't even matter because we've built such a... You see what I'm saying? So important. Now... How do we actually start working the off-leash? Very safe and very safely and very carefully, (laughs) okay? Um, Look, disclaimer, guys, you got to be very careful with this stuff. This is off-leash training. This can be very dangerous, potentially. If you're near busy streets, if there's cars around, uh, things that, you know, your dog could potentially get hurt by if they decide to bolt on you. So please be smart about this. If you're questioning off-leash training, um, you know, Get with a professional, hire somebody to help you out. And once again, we'll give that plug. We only got a couple days left. Uh, we're doing those free consultations till the end of the May. Uh, I've had a lot of clients taking advantage of that free virtual consultation uh, that we're, we've got going on. So feel free to reach out to me. You can email me questions at speakadogcast.com or message me on social media. We can do that consult. You know, we'll talk about your dog's behavior, assess what's going on, and we can make an awesome training plan for you guys. So uh, let me know if you want to take advantage of that free consult. Um, so again, guys, just be smart about this stuff. When we start working off leash, I might start doing things like I'll drop the leash in a very safe place and I know the dog can't get away from me. I'll drop the leash as we're walking and just let them drag the leash and making sure I'm keeping that focus and reinforcing it. I'll start doing work with them on the tar, you know, uh, walking around, making sure they're following me. Okay, keeping the leash just right there. So if they do decide to maybe, you know, I can step on the leash, I can pick up the leash, the leash is right there, easily accessible to be safe. We can also put a 10 foot, 20 foot leash on our dogs at this point if we wanna really be, you know, sure, have that extra feet to be able to grab the leash, okay? But that's where it starts. I'll start just by dropping the leash and keep walking like we would as if I was holding the leash. Okay, then I might put them in a sit and stay back away just a few feet and get them to come to me. Okay, letting them drag the leash to do it. This is how we start doing off-leash training. Very small baby steps where I'm not no longer holding the leash, but we're doing it in a safe way, and I'm still reinforcing and strengthening my dog coming with me and following me. Then we start doing little exercises like a sit, stay, backing away, and getting them to come to me. Okay? Then we can also incorporate like a spot command or a place, but you know, usually by this point in your training, you don't necessarily need that dog bed reference point. You can just put your dog in a lie down and stay and be able to walk away from them. Okay, if you've worked that spot command enough, it can transfer off where we don't even need the spot anymore. We just put them in a sit, lie down, stay, or lie down, stay, whatever. Um, yeah, you know, it, it's this is how we start working off leash, guys. This is how it's done. 
baby steps, slow steps, slowly dropping the leash, running through different exercises, putting them through different circumstances. Um, I'll go to the pet store, right? Go to the pet store, put them in a sit and stay and walk down to the end of the aisle. Practice getting them to stay because how many triggers uh, excuse me, how many distractions are there at the pet store? It's a great place to practice these things and practice a little bit of off-leash, right? Not really, because we, excuse me again, still have a leash on them. Uh, but then I might practice dropping the leash, going to the end of the aisle, taking a step around the end of the aisle, going out of sight a little bit for just a second, coming back around, start practicing out of sight off-leash training. These are the baby steps that we can take to get our dogs truly walking off leash, okay? Now, when it comes to hiking trails and things like that, guys, you better have practiced off leash training in other places a lot because trails can be kind of similar to a, uh, to a pet store, right? It can be distracting, it can have triggers, it can have scents and smells that might make your dog wanna take off on them. So please be cautious and please make sure that you're practicing off leash training in safe environments before you go into places like that, okay? Then, you know, at the very beginning, I talked about the safety side of it. What, the, the what if, rather, excuse me, the what if side of it, the emergency side of it. What happens when that front door opens? We can also practice this as well. Now, one thing I like to do is have one person outside the house. Your dog isn't going to know they're there. Have them just walk out nonchalantly, whatever. They're going to be standing out front ready. Then we're going to open the door to the front house. And now again, disclaimer, we have taught our dog to sit and stay at the front door. We've taught our dog to stay committed. We've taught them the front door exercise. We've gone through all these things to already take the intensity of the door down. So at this point, I'll just kind of crack the door, maybe leave it open a little bit and walk away. See what happens. If the dog bolts out or goes to walk out, I'll try to redirect them back inside without using a leash. If they were to bolt out at this point, that's why we have the second person out front. They're going to be able to be there to stop them and be able to redirect them back into the house and control it. Now, again, guys, if we're practicing just leaving the door open kind of thing, we need to make sure you're at that point in your training. Make sure you've practiced all of this other stuff first, okay? Very, very, very important. What did I say? Build a solid foundation. Baby steps, guys. Baby steps. This is how we start to create off-leash training, okay? baby, baby steps. All right. Now with that said, when we are walking with them, going back to the leash work, just one second, I, I miss, I wanted to make sure I just kind of hit on one more thing. I may have not hit on this enough. When we're out walking, um, when we're out on the walk, excuse me, and we're at the point where we're ready to drop the leash and let them drag it, make sure you have treats with you. It's important to reinforce that, hey, just because I dropped the leash, you, you don't need to go anywhere. I still got good stuff to offer, okay? And if they stay with you, we're reinforcing that behavior of them following you. So it's very important that you have treats on you when you are ready in your training to drop that leash. Guys, be cautious out there. I'm giving you that warning again. If you're unsure about off-leash training, please contact a professional. Don't forget the free virtual consultations till the end of May. All right. And make sure you're being smart about this stuff. Practice safe training. Use uh, the proper tools, the proper leashes, and always be using treats when we're using off-leash training. Always have to have a reason for your dog to want to come back to you. Got to reinforce and strengthen that behavior. All right, guys, I hope you got some good information out of that. Good luck out there with your off-leash training and be smart with your dog. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Jerry from Chicago. Jerry says, I'm getting a new puppy. She's too young to come home now, but we'll be getting her in a few weeks. 
if there were three items I should go out and buy right now, what would they be? <laughs> that's, that's a good question, Jerry. I like that. Three items, huh? Boy, that's tough. That's a tough one. The crate is first and foremost. I mean, that to me is the most, yeah, that, boom, done. Number one, crate, done deal. Okay. Like you're making this hard if I have to narrow it down. You know what? No, I'm going to give you five. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to give you five, Jerry. All right. That's the first one is the crate. The second one is the pee cleanup chemical. Now, my favorite is Nature's Miracle. There's a lot of good ones out there. Uh, but Nature's Miracle is a great one. So crate, Nature's Miracle, treats. Yes, treats. And you know what? I'm just going to say treats and a treat pouch as as one and the same because you can't have one without the other. Um, what's that? Can't have one without the other. Love and marriage. There it is. That's a you know, Sinatra. Was that a, it can't originally be Sinatra. He ripped off lots of songs. All right. <laughs> Dog podcast, David. Stay on topic. Great. <laughs> <laughs> the spray for the pee uh, and accidents in general, the treats and the treat pouch, right? Gotta have toys. I, I mean, I, I can't, you know, that's not like a single item, but you have to have toys. You have to have something for your dog's enrichment, for teething, for all those different reasons. Toys have to be on the list, okay? And then the fifth one, the fifth one is going to be proper leash and collar. I know, one and the same, can't have one without the other. So there you go again, that's the fifth one. Now, what proper leash and collar? Now, being that, you know, you're saying you're getting a new puppy, she's too young to come home, she's going to be little. So when she's going to be little, there's two options. If it's a really small dog, harness is not a bad option at that age, okay? We've talked about this before. It's one of my few exceptions for using a harness. Uh, but you could also get just a regular old nylon collar, depending on the size of your dog. If it's a bigger, bigger dog, you can already go with a Martingale potentially at 10 weeks old. It really just depends on the size, the breed, all that kind of stuff. Um, but again, I kind of hope that helps out. I had to give you the sort of five, but I, tree pouch, treats, leash, collar, those are one and the same. So there's the five things I would go out and get before bringing my puppy home. Next question. This comes from Karina from Long Island, New York. Karina says, I just found out I'm allergic to dogs. Never had allergies before, but apparently you can develop allergies later in life. My doctor's telling me I need to get the allergy shots or get rid of the dog to alleviate the symptoms. I cannot even imagine getting rid of my dog. Do you have any ideas or suggestions for helping me cut down on the fur? Karina, phenomenal question. My wife is right there with you. Uh, same kind of thing. She developed allergies later in life. And unfortunately for her, especially unfortunately for her, dogs and cats are two of the biggest allergens that she should avoid. Now, my wife is getting the allergy shots. And Karina, being that you haven't started them yet, I'm just, you know, I, I hope your allergist is being honest with you that the allergy shots are not always fun. Um, it's going to knock you on your butt potentially and make you tired and then, of course, make your allergies worse and exacerbate them for a while before it gets better. And it's a mountain to climb, if I'm just being honest. And I'm not even the one experiencing it. My poor wife has had to experience it. So it is a mountain to climb getting the allergy shots. However, we're, we're getting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. She's been doing it for a while. And, you know, there is that hope. It's tough for my wife because of how many dogs we have come in and out of her house, how many dogs we have of our own. So, you know, um, so yeah, Karina, that's up to, you know, obviously that's a personal decision if you want to do the shots or not. Um, I'm sure, again, I'm sure your doctor's told you all about this. It, it, it kind of surprises me. He said, you know, get rid of the dog or do the shots. I mean, yeah, that it is that black and white to some degree. But there are some things, of course, 
that you can do to reduce the amount of allergens your dog has put into the air. Now, I don't know how much your allergist had told you. My wife's allergist really, I mean, educated both of us on allergens and the fact that the interesting thing is, and I'm sure you had the test and that's why I'm sure you know, and I'm not doubting that, but the interesting thing is most people that go chalk it up to, oh, I'm allergic to dogs and never have been tested. A lot of those people, in fact, they're not allergic to dogs. What they are allergic to is the stuff and the crap that dogs bring in, right? What I mean by this is a dog's fur, it's very oily, it's very uh, uh, thick, and what it will do is it will grab on to pollen, to grass, to all these things that most people have some level of allergy toward, and people that do have severe severe allergies to those things, the dog just kind of acts acts as a distributor, right? And it comes in its house and it you know comes in your house and shakes off and all of that those particles they go into the air, they go on your walls, they go into your air vents, and so a lot of people are not in fact allergic to dogs. So that's 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 one thing I will say is what I'm getting at is brush your dog more often, bathe them more often, dust your house more often, vacuum and clean the floors more often. I know that's not what you want to hear because that's a lot. It is a lot, but the, it, it will, I promise you, it will reduce, it will reduce those allergens tremendously if you were on top of that stuff. If you vacuum every day, you might be surprised. You might start feeling a little better. <clears throat> um, it's tough. And then of course you have to have the Zyrtec on, on, on hand ready to go every 12 hours because that stuff is crucial when you're dealing with these allergies and the allergy shots. Um, Man, like crazy, crazy, crazy. Yeah, allergens are no fun. So yeah, I mean, I'm just being honest, Karina. There's there's not a whole lot you can completely do to rid of the allergens short of getting rid of the dog, which we're not doing. Let's not even talk about that. It's not on the table. All right, I agree. <laughs> that wasn't on the table for us, obviously. So we're, do, we're doing what we can. She's getting the allergy shots and we try to keep the house cleaner. Um, you know, it's that simple. If you start being really OCD about it, you might be surprised. Brush your dog once a day, at least, at least. Oof. I know. I know. And you know, uh, yeah, you didn't tell me what kind of dog you have. And you know, if it is something like a lab, my, my wife tends to be more allergic to the labs. Interestingly enough, the lab for the lab dander, uh, not dander. It's actually the skin cells, skin flakes that we're most allergic to when we're allergic to dogs. Um, interesting stuff. I mean, you know, it's crazy, crazy. So again, you know, Hey, Karina, I wish you luck. Good luck. I I hope you feel better. (laughs) It's no fun to feel, to have those allergens and feel that way. So I hope you feel better. I hope these allergy shots do help you if you decide to go that route. And just remember, be a little more OCD about the brushing, the, the, the bathing, um, all that stuff. And hopefully that will help you feel better. The answer to today's trivia question, what is the smallest cat in the big cat family? It's the rusty spotted cat. Yes, these cats are only native to India and they weigh only about three pounds and are only about 17 inches long, making them just about the size of your average house cat. That'll wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday and you're going to want to check them out. If you love what you're hearing, do me a favor. Click that five-star rating. Leave me a great review. Give me that thumbs up on the YouTube channel. I would greatly appreciate it, guys. Follow me on Instagram. Become a patron of the show today at patreon.com slash speakadogcast. I'd like to thank my patrons, my pup supporter, Ragula Wright, and my dog friend, Maureen Crosin. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget, get out there and walk your dog. Thank you.